Welcome to Contain This. I'm pleased to host the second episode in our series exploring issues related to COVID-19 vaccines in our region as we plan Australia's $500 million regional vaccine access and health security initiative. In the week before the Global Health Security Agenda Ministerial meetings in November this year, we hosted a side event on COVID-19 vaccine financing, we being the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security, representing Australia as one of the leads on the Sustainable Financing for Preparedness Action Package. Why this side event on vaccine financing? Well, when safe and effective vaccines for COVID do become available, they will be needed for both preparedness and response. There might be sufficient funding available in the short term, but not enough vaccines to go around. In the medium term, we might have the reverse problem, insufficient funding and too many COVID-19 vaccines. So the purpose of this event was to bring together some key partners in vaccine financing. There are already several mechanisms established, including the COVAX facility and recent announcements from the multilateral development banks for vaccine financing. In this space, we see opportunity and, as always, risk. So we brought together six panellists from around the world to discuss what successful coordination looks like, with our principal goal being that developing countries get equitable, affordable and timely access to safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines. We heard from Arpana Somanathan, the Practice Manager for Health, Nutrition and Population for the East Asia Pacific region at the World Bank. Patrick Osewe, the Chief of the Health Sector Group at the Asian Development Bank. And Sol Walker, the Deputy Director for Vaccines, Therapeutics and Diagnostics at the UK Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Santiago Cornejo from Gavi has recently been appointed as the Director for Country Engagement for the Office of the COVAX Facility. And for a pharmaceutical industry perspective, we were joined by Adrian Thomas, Global Vice President of Global Health at Johnson & Johnson. I'm pleased to bring you the highlights of our hour-long discussion. Our first question really is, um, what needs to happen for the COVAX AMC to be successful? And to, to start the response here, we'll throw to Santiago. Thank you, Stephanie. And as I mentioned, the COVAX effort is a global effort to ensure equitable access to COVID vaccine for all. So what I I would like to focus on three key elements that we need. One is demand. We need a broad participation from all economies, all countries in the COVAX facility. So we need all 92 AMC eligible countries to confirm their participation and the, the, the demands that they need. But this is not just about only AMC eligible countries. We also need self-financing countries to participate. We need to remember that no one is safe until everyone is safe. And that leads to my second topic, which is supply. We need rapid development of a safe and efficacious vaccine that is appropriate and affordable to all settings. Uh, We have an unprecedented pipeline uh, that is moving very, very fast, which is great news. Uh, But also we need to remember that while speed is very important, uh, development takes time uh, because safety is paramount. Uh, But once we have this vaccine that is safe and efficacious, what the AMC will be doing is seeking to have access to early doses for those countries that they are eligible. And we aspire to do it at a non-for-profit price, particularly during this acute phase of the pandemic. Of course, this will allow us to maximize 
the donor resources that we have in order to have a broader ability to, to purchase a, a more doses. Which leads to the third topic that is quite what we need, which is funding. We need ad adequate financing to secure the supply of a, a, for all AMC economies who have no other means to, to purchase the vaccines. Uh, we need this predictable financing in order to ensure a wide range of a portfolio of, vaccine, of vaccines for all countries. We don't know yet which vaccine will be successful. So we need to ensure that we will have a wide portfolio of several candidates that countries will have access. Our target, as I mentioned, was to reach at the, by the end of this year $2 billion. We are very close to that target which is great news and we're very thankful of all of our donors and including Australia and the UK for your support. But also we will need to mobilize next year an additional $5 billion in order to secure this access to every country, which leads to my four point of what we will need, which is country readiness. We need everyone to support these countries to ensure that they're ready to roll out the vaccines once they're available. The scale and the speed of the introduction is unprecedented. Also, we need to remember that the platforms, how this vaccine will be rolled out, will be different to what has been the experience with other vaccines. This is why we need all partners to work together in the support of countries. And I will encourage all countries to start the preparation and the planning for the rollout of the vaccine at this moment, now because we don't want uh, anyone to be left behind. Because we're talking about the AMC in particular, um, and you started off by talking about demand. Um, of the 92 eligible AMC countries, how many are yet to express a demand? How, you go, how are you going in defining the demand? So we will be sending uh, the, the what we will call the vaccine request next week to all eligible 92 uh, economies and countries then will send us this vaccine request where they can identify what will be the demand. Also there we highlight some critical issues that they need to be aware in terms of implement of rolling out these vaccines such as the supply chain the, and the different steps that they will need to, to, to think and in order to start preparing right now. Thanks, Santiago. Saul, um, would welcome your reflections on what looks like a success for the AMC. So, so the first thing I want to say was just the importance of just getting the supply and the demand working together. Um, there is a, a huge, um, with a huge kind of uh, work by CEPI and Gavi in putting together a, the largest portfolio of vaccines in the world. Uh, we're now seeing deals done with companies and three announced uh, already. Um, and also Adrian's mentioned how companies are stepping up um, to commit to global access. That needs to go further, I think. Um, we actually need to see the deals get done now. Gavi and COVAX does have money in the bank. So it's really now time, I think, to begin to see those deals um, announced. And as far as companies can to, to, to push the, the envelope a little bit on pricing, such as J&J &J has done, such as AstraZeneca have done on nonprofit and um, ideally flat pricing where possible. On the demand side, um, I, I think we are a little bit behind the curve there. We really do need to get moving on actually characterizing demanding countries. Uh, as we know, probably the target groups for COVID vaccination are going to be, uh, will be non-standard. They're not charged vaccines. How do we reach those populations? How do we identify them? How do we prioritize them? 
uh, is going to be important. And, and adapting that as we know more about the characteristics of whichever vaccines are, are successful. Um, countries also, I think all of us need to commit to the equitable access approach. Um, we are going to have supply constraints, at least in, in the first uh, 12, 18, two years, um, months of, of this. Um, so we do have to make sure that we're, we're working um, to make sure that countries get vaccines to vaccinate their priority uh, constituencies and, and, and target groups effectively. Um, I think the demand side will be more complex um, in countries than perhaps we, we've kind of uh, gripped at the moment, um, both in terms of which um, populations countries will want to vaccinate, where they are in terms of their outbreaks, what their supply and delivery challenges will be in countries, how they mobilize population support. So working with countries and putting countries and communities at the center of understanding those immunization strategies on a country by country basis um, is going to be uh, really important. And I think the work that, that Gavi is now doing and the World Bank is doing to support countries around immunization introduction planning is really crucial. Um, and I think the key, one of the key things there is to make sure that we're coordinated across um, the different international partners here. I know, for example, Gavi's um, vaccine readiness uh, tool and the bank's vaccine readiness tool are slightly different. Um, so we should try and see that coordination there, that countries don't get asked the same questions repeatedly, uh, but slightly differently. Um, second, cooperation, coordination and adaptability. Um, as I noted there, you know, this is going to be an unparalleled complexity of, of, of supply and delivery. We really haven't seen anything like this done as fast as this across as many countries as this. And it's really going to be incumbent on all of us um, to try and make this as streamlined as possible. Um, for countries to, uh, to be a bit more forgiving in, in what they expect in terms of specificity um, from, from vaccines, in terms of whether it's packaging or whether it's approaches to, um, to, to procurement, to try and reduce the complexities for companies who are trying to, to plan their supply um, and delivery uh, schedules. Um, and then also for countries to know what they can expect from, from Gavi, from donors, from COVAX, um, from other partners uh, in helping them to deliver on this. Um, and of course, the other key thing that we'll have to take into account here is adaptability. We don't know which vaccines will be um, effective. Uh, even with the best planning in the world, there will be hiccups in supply. There will be delays on occasion. Um, there will be delays on the demand side as well as on the supply side. And we're going to need to be able to adapt to that. So good communication, actually a commitment to working together on this are going to be crucial um, in making this work. Um, immediate but sustained financing. Um, so uh, Santiago ran through some of the numbers there, $2 billion to secure um, supply capacity for AMC countries, probably 5 to $7 billion next year for procurement, depending on which vaccines um, uh, are ultimately successful, and then additional financing to then deliver those vaccines in country. I think one of the things we should be doing is as we deliver and learn from COVAX is actually building systems and approaches that will help us in the future. Um, you know, this will not be the last pandemic that we deal with. Uh, we've done an amazing job. The world has done an amazing job in bringing COVAX together in companies stepping up, in donors and countries stepping up. Um, but we are playing catch up a little bit and we're particularly playing catch up on um, some of the manufacturing capacity that we have available and how we approach this equitable access approach. So how do we learn the lessons as we go with COVAX uh, to build a system that will help us respond more effectively and more quickly uh, next time? 
And again, I think key and key to that is going to be sustainable financing, not just during pandemics, but actually uh, in between pandemics as well. Thanks, Saul. Great points. I will go to Adrian now for your perspective. What people don't often think about is what do you actually put a vaccine into to deliver it to someone? And this is a you know, not really talked about very much, but in terms of what we call fill and finishing, like taking drug substance or vaccine substance and making a product, which is either in a vial or a syringe, you know, um, there's probably not enough glass vial in the world to satisfy the total demand if it were if it were 100% realised. And so those, those upstream technologies uh, that need to be scaled very, very rapidly are a challenge. And that's why I think it's so important um, that in terms of de-risking the, the financing of this, that we find ways to accelerate those manufacturers. We, we, we recognise and give clarity on what the demand is to, um, to companies like ours so that we can allocate the right resources against it. I mentioned that we were, we were doing uh, uh, development and upscaling work in three continents. That has its challenges in itself, like which plant and which continent will be acceptable for which government for what delivery. So it takes me sort of to the, to the next thing, which is around, and it's been mentioned, but the demand management, um, um, dynamic allocation and reallocation of uh, vaccines will be critical. And one of the things, again, that um, we really need to have uh, attention on is when people say vaccine delivery preparation or preparedness, the vast bulk of vaccine globally is probably not going to be available until the end of 2021 in terms of realising scale-up without any manufacturing hiccups, which, as we know, is, is always a risk in, in this sort of speed of a business. And, and therefore... Um, if companies have to work with 150 plus individual governments one-on-one -on -one for a vaccine that may or may not arrive first or second, that becomes complex. And so the role of a COVAX facility, and particularly those higher income countries who are helping steer and guide the debate, is, is, is paramount to us so that we can take issues of equ uh, equity off the table. Thanks, Adrian. It's terrific to have private sector perspective and just some of the um, mentions of dynamic allocation and reallocation and seeing how industry sees a market and a vaccine and its interaction being critical. I think Santiago would like to respond to you, Santiago. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, but I think what is important is to understand that the limitation at the moment is not going to be demand, it's supply. We need to, so, and it's only serious and plus game. So if countries go bilaterally, then we're still reaching this, it's the same supply. We don't know which vaccine is successful yet. We don't know, and as Adrian mentioned, it will take some time, even after we have, we know that it's efficacious and safe to really reach that scale up of production to ensure that the whole world uh, will be vaccinated. So this is where for us from a COVAX facility, and I think something that Saul mentioned, which is critical, we need a global solidarity effort. This is not that we believe that only 20% of the population should be vaccinated. What we, be, what we are trying to say is we hope and we aspire to have 2 billion doses by, the, by next year. If we do that, then we can assure that those that need it the most will have access to the, to the vaccines. And I think this is a good point to segue because we have heard 
lots of support for the essential nature of the COVAX facility and multilateral solutions um, and a characterization of short-term and medium-term dynamics, which will be different for supply and demand of COVID-19 vaccines. Um, the next part, the next question is really about with the other actors, the other external financing for COVID vaccine that is available, public and announced. How are the um, institutions with that funding working to complement efforts um, and to 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 minimise uh, duplication and really and, and minimise competition in a way for the scarce supply in the early in the early months to years. The discussions that we've had with governments and partners to date indicate that the banks are well-placed to provide the health system strengthening investments that are needed to deliver the vaccines. Um, so as we've already heard a few times today, purchasing vaccines is just one step in a complex multidimensional effort that involves detailed planning, implementation of vaccine deployment programs in specific country level contexts and health systems. And the banks um, tend to have a network of technical and implementation support capacity already working on the ground uh, due to previous engagements in the health sector, uh, which reflects some comparative advantage in providing this hands-on system strengthening support in addition to direct financing of vaccine purchases. And this type of system support can build easily on existing COVID support projects, like with the World Bank's previous MPA, as well as broader the broader health portfolio. Um, we know that in the EAP region, the economic shock due to COVID uh, and its implications for health financing has nothing to do with the, the level of COVID itself. Pacific Island states that have managed to avoid COVID altogether are going to be some of the worst hit. And with economic shock comes a decline in revenues and a hit on health financing. Thanks, Arpana. And it's a good reminder that we can never isolate a single commodity in a health system and talk about it in isolation. So thank you for those remarks. Let's talk about financing that's available beyond the advanced market commitment. The AMC is critical and it's clear it's needed for the acute phase of the pandemic. We also think it's important that developing countries have some agency around what they might need to best finance their vaccine needs. And so additional financing is needed for a range of reasons. As we understand today, there may be a requirement for countries to co-finance their vaccine doses through the advanced market commitment. With such a big global economic shock, countries may need financing to even enter into commitments under the AMC. In addition, there's going to be a real need to make sure countries can cover populations beyond 20% in the short term if they choose to do so. I know the COVAX facility has ambitions beyond 20%, but we need to work collectively to see how that can be made possible for countries. We also think it's important countries have a degree of agency, choices between different financing mechanisms to enable greater control over vaccine selection, vaccine quantities, and vaccine types. Within the AMC, we know Gavi is making best endeavours to meet country preferences, and they have as well acknowledged there will be limitations given the scarcity of supply. As a developed country, 
Australia has entered into advanced purchase agreements already. We've also entered into the COVAX facility. So we've been given a choice about the different mechanisms to meet our domestic needs. It's important when we think about partner governments in the region and globally in the same way, offering the opportunity of choice of vaccines and vaccine financing mechanisms. At the same time, it's critical we don't drive up vaccine price. We need to make sure we're not crowding out the space between different mechanisms that are available, which really speaks to why we're talking together today. So I think the best way to do that is engagement between major mechanisms that already exist, the multilateral development banks, Gavi, UNICEF, major donors, and being transparent with each other about respective initiatives, resources available, and how those resources may be allocated. Ensuring that coordination is something we do continuously, not just globally, but regionally and at the country level. Early engagement with our partner governments and assessing need in a coordinated fashion is critical. That brings us to the new initiative that Australia has recently announced, a 500 million Australian dollar initiative to support procurement of vaccine doses for countries in Southeast Asia and the Pacific and to enable critical technical advisory and support work to support immunisation rollout. So when we're talking about financing, we can't talk about it in isolation. It's about more than the dollars. We're talking about critical preparedness work, which makes sure that doses don't get dropped off at wharves or airports. We are all invested collectively in the preparedness measures that we need to take well in advance of doses coming off manufacturing belts. Even looking at cold chain storage, training of health workers, early risk communication with communities, and and getting ahead in the preparatory work in the regulatory space. Australia's new initiative will be a comprehensive package targeting Southeast Asia and the Pacific. I'm open to the panel for any other reflections on the complementarity of additional mechanisms, Saul. So I I think to the degree that we can put countries at the centre of this, um, help countries do their planning, make sure countries have good information about vaccines, about some of the costs and potential impacts of different products is going to be essential. Um, I would also say, I suspect that actually countries are going to have to make health allocation decisions as well. There will be other things that will have higher public health impact for them than getting to you know, above 20% um, for, uh, for COVID vaccination, whether that be for other vaccine preventable diseases or other health issues in countries and actually helping countries make those allocative decisions across their health portfolios is going to be really important and and just coming in with financing that is only available for uh, COVID vaccines I think will will skew some of those decisions. From your perspective Patrick and the work of the ADB what is your advice to countries in our region looking for assistance in how to get the most out of our combined interest in supporting access to good early technologies such as COVID vaccines. Over to you, Patrick. Um, I think that what we see is that uh, there's never been such a strong commitment from governments. I think because of what the pandemic has done uh, on the economies of many countries, uh, have never been able to get the attention of the ministers of finance the way I'm getting uh, right now. I think that 
there needs to be uh, significant capacity to support countries to be able to decide how much vaccines do they want at what time. Because I think that many countries sometimes they, they just think that if, if, for example, a country like Pakistan uh, with 220 million population got 150 million doses today, what do they do with it? Uh, there will be major significant challenges and so on. So this the, looking at demand and forecasting what is needed at what time uh, is a critically uh, a major challenge. And then if you look at the issue of cold chain, uh, UNICEF is very fast to say that uh, the, 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 you know, the existing cold chain uh, is, is for vaccines and so on. But now we're talking about adult vaccines. So to what extent do we support UNICEF and, and, uh, and COVAX to ensure that the, uh, the cold chain that exists today reflects the demand that we see on the ground because the existing culture for children uh, perhaps is not uh, is not 100% uh, sufficient to cover the vaccines that uh, uh, will be will be available because we are doing something that has never been done in the history uh, of, of of the of the world uh, trying to vaccinate currently there are 7.8 billion people uh, in the world uh, 4.6 billion are above the age uh, of 18 and in our region we have 52% of that population. This is a huge population. And Santiago, I feel like I come to you all the time, but really COVAX and Gavi are at the centre of these initial efforts and, and the other actors have come in behind and we've heard already that there are ways to play to our comparative advantage, to define our strengths in countries, to coordinate in discussion with countries. But from your perspective, how uh, what are some of the ways in which we can work better to put countries at the centre of this discussion. Thank you, and, and you're right. I think countries need, need to be set at the centre. So I will start with first what it's required for every country to set up, a, to form a group that will be responsible for planning this rollout. As I all mentioned, I mentioned in my, uh, in, 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 during the first, how we're going to roll out these vaccines is not the same way that we have we are doing our other vaccines. So this will be very different in the in terms of rollout. So we need to create this group in each of the countries that bring different stakeholders from different ministries to start working together in planning and preparing for this. I think by Adrian, by Patrick, and by others that we really need to pay attention is the regulatory aspects. And I think here also the trust and regulatory aspects. We, we, industry is speeding up the process in terms of coming with a safe vaccine. Donors are coming up also and really making their commitments. I think what we need to make sure is that then there is no bottlenecks at country level in terms of requirements for approval. We need to trust systems, WHO pre-qualification, uh, the approval of stringent regulatory agencies because if then every country starts requesting its own process, its own labeling, its own characteristics, then there will be even more delays in order to ensure access. So this is, I think, we all need to come together in trying to see how we're going to resolve this issue because it will be a shame if we can accelerate on one side and then on the other side, then we we found a bottleneck that then vaccines that potentially will be ready cannot be rolled out because of regulatory requirements and different type of specifications that each country will, will ask for. So I think this is something that we need to, to look at. 
This discussion drew out a range of issues around vaccine access and financing. Importantly, all panellists agreed that coordination was essential between financiers. And we had a much broader discussion around what we've achieved to date as a global community, including through the leadership of the COVAX facility. And as always, a shared view on the importance of equity of access and ensuring efficiencies given scarce resources at this time. In terms of coordination, it seems it's about having clarity around the strategic intent of funding from different agencies, recognising when might be the most appropriate time for vaccine doses, for technical assistance, or for regulatory support. We also touched on the importance of working to our comparative advantage as agency. I was pleased to hear Arpana Somanathan from the World Bank talk about the need to continue support for essential health services. And Patrick Osewe from the Asian Development Bank talking about the opportunity and the need to continue sustainable, predictable spending in health, even in the face of broad fiscal downturn. Adrian Thomas from Johnson & Johnson was our private sector representative. He put new ideas on the table. Saul Walker from the United Kingdom represented long-term development partners. And finally, Santiago Conejo from Gavi and more recently the office of the COVAX facility very clearly articulated the choices facing low and middle income countries. A note to listeners. At the time of this side event on vaccine financing, we were of the understanding that countries would be required to co-finance their contribution to the 20% of vaccine doses coming through the AMC. We understand that as at today, that policy has changed and is likely that those doses may be fully subsidised by the AMC. It's clear we need to act together and forge new ways to cooperate because while we're narrowly focused on the COVID vaccine, we are also building health systems for the future. I hope you can join us next fortnight on Contain This. Contain This.